Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. our series uh, called The Heart of Christ, The Affections, Emotions, and Desires of Jesus. Don't forget, we're going to have you read the scripture. (laughs) Um, The Affections, Emotions, and Desires of Jesus, and today we're going to be focusing on the joy of Jesus. So Nat's going to read our passage for us today, and I want you to look for that phrase where it talks about the joy of Jesus from Hebrews 12. Go ahead, Nat. Hear now the word of God, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that is so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray that as we lean into your word, you would give us, uh, you would illuminate it so that we understand better who you are, that we understand your affections and your desires and your emotions better, and that, that wouldn't just be information, Lord, that would be transformation for our own hearts. And we ask all this for your glory And all God's people said, who wants to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. Not a challenging question there. All of our hearts desire to be happy. And so throughout our lives, we pursue pursue happiness. What, What are you pursuing right now to be happy? Is it that career? Is it that special someone? Is it a a little bit more money, uh, a new car? What are you pursuing that you want to make you happy? And then here's a follow-up question to that. What would you go through in order to get that thing that you want to make you happy? There was a movie that came out in 2006 called The Pursuit of Happiness. Really good movie. Will Smith was in it, and he played a, a, a character from real life named Chris Gardner, And Will Smith had a very challenging life in this movie. Uh, He went through a divorce. He went through a failed business. Him and his young son, who he was a single parent of, were put out on the street. And he went through all these troubles and trials in order to find happiness. And during that time, he had an opportunity to work in finance. And he showed up to the interview not dressed in business attire, but like in a, you know, in a cutoff t-shirt and a jacket, and he looked awful because he had been through such hard things that day and the day before. And it was interesting that he, you know, in the middle of that, there was just like this great shame because he just looked completely out of place by the way he was dressed in this professional office. But in this pursuit of happiness, he had to endure all these trials, and he had to go through all these things that were shameful, like sleeping with his son in a bathroom in the subway because they had no place else to go. So as he pursued happiness, he went through all these hard things to get where he wanted to be. 
But I think one of the most profound things from that movie was a quote that he said, that the character said. He said, it was right then that I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson on the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have. Some have compared happiness to like trying to pick up a piece of paper off the ground when it's windy outside. Have you ever done that before? You like, you lean down to get it and there it goes and then you go chase after it. You lean down again and it blows again and you never quite get your hands on it. And this is one of the reasons why Christians have often talked about joy rather than happiness. That's why Christians have often talked about joy rather than happiness because happiness comes about when we change things externally, when we get the life that we want, the situations that we want. But joy is something that happens internally. Joy is something that happens internally. Happiness is often fleeting, right? You get your hand on it and then something changes and your situation is not the way you want it. But joy is lasting. Joy joy than it does happiness. But I want to spin it right here on you. Today I don't want to talk about our happiness and our joy. I want to talk to you about Jesus's pursuit of happiness and joy. I want to talk about Jesus's pursuit of joy. In our text today we'll see that he went through great trials and great shame to get to joy. That's what the verse says. It first says that Jesus endured the cross to get to the joy. Now, the Roman cross was a well-designed torture device. That's exactly what it is. It was a torture device that was used to execute criminals slowly and painfully. Uh, someone would lay down on the cross and their hands would be nailed into the wood and then their feet would be nailed into the wood as well and then they would be hoisted up so that they would bake in the sun as they slowly died a public shameful death. The cross was designed to maximize suffering over a long period of time. And one of the reasons that people often died on the cross was because they suffocated. The way that the cross was designed, your body would weigh so much and it was so hard to hold it up by the nails in your hands and feet that it would begin to sink and you couldn't breathe unless you pushed up on your feet through the nails in order to catch a breath. It was painful and shameful. But Jesus endured the physical suffering of the cross to pursue the joy. But he also endured the spiritual suffering on the cross. See, see, the cross was something that was used to execute common criminals. And although Jesus died as a common criminal, he was not a common criminal. He was the sinless son of God, the second person of the Trinity who had come into the world to bear the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin. 
became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We talked a little bit about this yesterday in the new members class. That verse is almost scandalous to us because we know that Jesus never sinned. He never sinned against God. He never sinned against neighbor. He was always perfectly righteous, always perfectly loving. And yet, he who knew no sin was made to be sin on the cross. That is to say, it was as if he was the worst sinner ever. He was the collective scapegoat for all of us when he was on the cross. And spiritually, it involved much suffering for him because his loving father, his heavenly father, poured out his anger and wrath against our sin on Jesus. And the father turned his back on the son as he hung on that cross. So the cross wasn't just something of physical suffering for Jesus, it was also something of incredible spiritual suffering for him as well. But Jesus endured that cross to get to the joy. He endured that cross to get to the joy, and he also despised the shame. The verse says that he despised the shame to get to the joy. Now, to die on a cross was something that was public, When we have executions in our country now, they are often private. They're not a public event. Executions in the Roman world were a public event where you were on a cross for everyone to see. And often during that, you were stripped bare, if not naked, as people watched you die. It was humiliating. It was a humiliating event where you struggled to breathe as you watched other people breathing in oxygen freely from the ground below. Uh, But Jesus' suffering, his, his shame was prolonged because he went through an unfair trial on the way there. He was abandoned by his friends. He was whipped publicly. And then as he hung there on the cross, To to mock him even more, there was a sign hung above him that said, the king of the Jews. Everything about Jesus' death was meant to shame him. Yet, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus despised the shame to get to the joy. He despised the shame. Now, for a while, I thought that despised here, I didn't quite understand it, I thought It meant something like he avoided the shame, but that didn't make sense because he didn't avoid the shame. He went right to the shame. He went right through the shame. Where you and I, anything shameful, we run away from, Jesus went right towards it. In other words, despising the shame was saying, Jesus saying, I'm not going to let shame keep me from the joy. I'm going to head to the shame and through the shame. I hold shame in contempt. It will not stop me from getting to the joy. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. John Piper says it this way. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. 
You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power? Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, that is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. Jesus despised the shame to get to the joy. What an incredible heart Jesus has that he would be willing to despise the shame to get to the joy and endure the cross to get to the joy. You think about his emotions and his desires and his affections, the boldness of his heart, that he was willing to undergo all that to get to the joy. Well, you might be wondering, what's the joy? What's the joy that he was getting to? What is this joy that he's, he's seeking after? What is this joy that his heart is pursuing, that he's willing to endure the cross and despise the public shame? Here's the joy. Jesus' joy is getting to bring God's salvation to you. Getting to bring God's salvation to you. Through his death, he's able to reconcile you to God, and that is his joy. Through his death, you are adopted into God's family, and that is his joy. Through his death and resurrection, he provides you new life, and that is his joy. Joy. He has defeated sin and the death and death and the devil for you, and that is his joy. He has ascended to the right hand of God where he reigns and rules in power, and that brings him great joy that he does it for you. He is your king, and he has power that he expresses for you, and that is his joy. Verse 2 says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' great joy was in being the one that got to bring God's salvation to you through the pain of the cross, through the shame of of a public execution. That when you place your faith in him and you turn away from your sins and you turn to him, you are reconciled to God. You become part of his family. See, though the cross was unbearable and though the shame was immeasurable for Jesus, bringing salvation to you was joy. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland talks about a doctor, a doctor who might go and visit a sick community. And the trouble getting to the community is really no trouble at all, as long as when he gets to the community, he sees that people are coming to him for healing. He doesn't despise them for coming to him as sick people. He doesn't despise them that they need his help. In fact, the doctor traveling to this village to help people that are sick, it brings him great joy. In Luke 15, Jesus tells us, he says, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents rather than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. 
One of the problems, though, is we, we sort of get the joy when we first start following Jesus. But somewhere along the way, we lose our joy. And maybe that's because we lose sight of Jesus' joy. We stop relying on Jesus' joy over bringing God's salvation to us, and we begin to focus on our own personal happiness. Now, everyone wants to be happy, but we lose something when we stop seeing the joy of Jesus and bringing God's salvation to us. We begin to focus on our failures and our successes, and we begin not to believe in his joy over us, in his joy in us and bringing us salvation. And we begin to live as if this verse here in Hebrews 12 isn't true. We, we begin to, to change the wording in the way that we live our lives. We begin to live as if it says, let us run the race towards happiness, keeping our eyes on how happy we are. Or, or we begin to live it this way, let us run the Christian race with regret because we see our failures constantly. Jesus sees them and he endures us, despising us because we shame him. That's how we live, but that's not what it says. That's not what it says at all. Verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on, on Jesus pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. That's what it says. Well, how do we live that way? How do we live in light of what it says? How do we live as if it's true? What does it say? It says to keep our eyes not on our own happiness, not on our failures, but our eyes on who? Jesus. To keep our eyes on Jesus. To look to him. And as we look to him, throw off everything that hinders. Notice the words that he uses here, the author of Hebrews. He says things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, the things that hinder us are not sinful, they're, they're morally ambiguous, but they're just things that get in the way. Now, sin is sinful, obviously, but the author tells us to throw off the sin that gets in our way and the stuff that's not sinful but still gets in our way. Now, in our culture, we see those things as the very things that make us happy. <laughs> if I only get my sin, I'll be happy. If I only get this thing, I'll be happy. Now, some of those things aren't wrong, but they just get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. They get in the way of seeing Jesus, who has great joy in bringing us salvation. So there's a tension. We really have to wrestle at some point. Do we want to pursue what we think will make us happy, or do we want to pursue the Lord who takes great joy in bringing salvation to us? We look, we throw off, and we run the race. We run the race marked out in front of us. We, we don't chase after the American dream. We chase after Christ who loves us. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we remain confident in his joy. The last phrase of this little text says that he sat down at the right hand of God. Now what's in that right there is the idea that Jesus is both an eternal priest and an eternal king for us in heaven. 
that he's seated at the right hand of God as our eternal representative before God. What that means is if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you do not represent yourself before God. Jesus does. And his blood cleanses you forever. And he lives in heaven to intercede for you. That means that throughout history, Jesus has always been praying for the church and for the people. Jesus, since he ascended into heaven, has been having a 2,000-year prayer service for us, his people. And he loves doing it. It brings him joy. He didn't ask you how you felt about him doing it. He loves being your representative in heaven for the joy set before him. But not only that, he's not just a priest. He is a king who rules and reigns over all things. Ephesians 1 says this, that God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his, where? His right hand in the heavens. Now here's the kingly language. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and above every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's saying there's no one that has more power than Jesus throughout history. And he subjected everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him as head over everything for what? The church, that's us. Jesus' kingship and power is expressed for his glory, for certain, for his kingship, for certain. But Paul says here, it's for the church. It's on behalf of the church. Jesus rules and reigns. He is king forever for the benefit of you and the benefit of me. Do you have confidence in Jesus' joy? Right now, he is doing exactly what he wants to be doing for the rest of his, for the rest of eternity, for you. He loves being your priest. He loves being your king. You and I look at our lives and we're so connected to how we feel every day that we assume that Jesus feels the same way about us that we feel about us. Jesus lives to be your king. He lives to be your priest, whether you feel great about yourself or not. And as you catch sight of that, that's what actually empowers you to live the Christian life with boldness. You get out of the bed in the morning and say, you know what, I don't really like myself today. Reorient yourself to the fact that Jesus takes great joy in being your king and your priest from now into eternity. He is doing exactly what he wants to be doing forever. He takes great joy in being everything to you so that you can find everything in him. Everyone is chasing after happiness, but Jesus is living in a state of joy, a state of joy because of what he has accomplished for you and for me. So in light of that, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance 
the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.